Um, the whole point of this, this message today is really, it's very, very simple. It's, it's to elevate our view of God. I mean, it's to raise our understanding of who God is. That's the whole point. And, and what I'm going to do is hit a few areas just to show you why it's such a huge need. Okay? But really, this is in, in the simplest form. It's really the whole point of today's message is to elevate our view of God because it's so important we do this. Because our view of God affects so many areas. It affects God and our relationship with Him. Our view of Him affects our walk as a believer, our growth, how we grow as a Christian. And it also affects everyone around us, the people that we talk to. Okay? So it's such an important issue. It just, it just it kind of affects everything. And so it's so, so important that we kind of nail this down. Now, but I also understand we're also coming from so many different backgrounds. Okay? Now, this is kind of, I guess, if I could just share with you up front, here's just a fear or something that I just don't want for my life. And, and I get close to it sometimes, and, I, and the Lord just kind of wakes me up. And this is, I can only put in this picture. You've been to Disneyland, right? I've been to Disneyland. Do you remember the ride, um, Pirates of the Caribbean? You've been on it lately, right? You remember it? It's, just, it, it's the coolest ride, especially as a little kid, I remember this, of just going through and seeing all the pirates and stuff. But do you remember at the end of the ride when you get to the treasure room? You remember that? You remember being a little kid going, no way, all this treasure and like the whole room's just glowing. And you're like, this is amazing. Do you remember who's sitting on top of the treasure? A dead man. A skeleton. And when I say that's my worst fear, my worst fear is that I would just be a dead man on a pile of treasure that I would know so much about God and that it wouldn't move me. That I would know so much about God and so much about His Word that, I, that it no longer leaves me amazed. You think that's impossible. It's not. In fact, I remember this when I went, first went to Bible school. Um, it's like I got married at 19. I was in Bible school a few months later. Um, and then uh, well, I got saved. I, was it? Yeah, I got saved, got married, and then went to Bible school. All within like a year. And the thing was, when I, and I knew, see, I knew the cross, I knew the story about Jesus, and, and I had read the Gospels, but I never, ever once opened the Old Testament and read it. I was just a brand new Christian, and I remember going to Bible school, and I remember them walking through all the stories of the Old Testament. And I remember I was just so amazed, like, sitting in class going, no way, the walls came down. You know what I'm saying? Like, hitting the guy next to me, the walls, he just walked around and they fell. He's like, yeah, I know, I've heard that before. And he just acted so uninterested. I'm like, oh man, it's like, and so many times it seems that, that we hear so much stuff, so much truth, that it actually has less of an impact, and it, it just seems wrong to me. It seems like the longer that we have walked with God, the more that we know, it seems that the more in awe we should be, not the less. And so really my fear, when I say my, my fear, is, um, is just that we would somehow end up dead men, dead people on a pile of treasure and not really know the value of what we're sitting on. And so that's what we're talking about. I just don't want to sit on the majesty of God and not get it, and not get it. So it is so, so important. Now, now understanding, um, when we talk about the majesty of God, really it's, it's about us coming before him and saying, teaching. Now, I, I understand this. We, we're, we live in a world where we submit ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. Now, let me explain that. You, anytime you, you get into a car and you take off driving, you get into a tall building and go in an elevator, you get in an airplane... Your roller coaster, horse, wave, you name it, there are things that are bigger than us that we submit ourselves to. And the funny thing about this is that I always watch, there's different responses. It's just, they're funny, I'm going to tell you this story. That, that, let me show you this. Uh, let's see. Hmm? Max, don't do this. Max, if you do this. Oh, I know. There you go. Thanks, Max. Okay, 
the lights coming through the door, so it, it made it kind of weird to see, but let me just explain. That, when we were in Africa, you remember Francis talking about there were two teams that kind of flew up to visit these refugee camps. One went to Lira, that was his team, and then I was on the other team that went to Sarodi. This is the team that went up to Sarodi, and it shows our little airplane, airplane right there in one shot, and then a picture of all the people in there. You got pastors from Rocky Peak, uh, some from Oregon. Uh, Francis's brother is in there, and there's uh, another guy you can't see. He's in the back, um, and his name was J.P., John Paul, and he was an African that was, went to Peter's church. And the thing is, the bottom picture is Lake Victoria. We're flying over. Well, the thing about this, the reason I'm telling you stories is, is a point to it. We were flying over um, to the refugee camp, spent the day there. Amazing to see all that the Lord has accomplished through his people uh, to minister to these refugees. Amazing. But we got up early. It was a long day, and we were flying back. And I don't know if you're like this, but if you've been up all day long, you got up early, and you're hungry, and you're tired, do you ever get obnoxious? Do you? Well, this plane ride, this was filled with obnoxious people. And, uh, and just because we were tired and just, you know, just that thing. And so we, we were kind of egging on the pilot to do tricks with the plane. And, uh, and he kept doing these little turns and we kept going, yeah, more and more. And, and, uh, and we were egging him on. And, and so what happens, I saw he just kind of got this wild look in his eye. And, uh, and he started buckling up all this stuff. And then I remember just him sitting there. And then all of a sudden, he just pulled back on the, on the controls. And the plane went and just shot straight up in the sky, and you could see nothing but blue sky, and you're just going, Lord Jesus, here I come. And, uh, and you're just like, just, it was just amazing, and your stomach's just like down, and you're just like going, and the funny thing is you could feel the electricity, I mean, the excitement, everybody's eyes were all big, and mouths were open, and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden we get to the top, and you can just hear the plane just going, rrr, rrr, rrr. and all of a sudden he just pushes forward, and the plane just does this weird dive, and all of a sudden everybody just screams, it's like, yeah, and holding their hands up, Everybody was screaming, except the guy next to me, his name was John Paul. He was screaming, but it sounded totally different. <laughs> it was just totally different. And then I was thinking, I thought, oh, before the plane, before the plane ride, I remember John Paul telling me he had never been on an airplane before. <laughs> I didn't even want to look at him until like I, I turned over, and he was just as white as any guy from California. Jesus, I remember him hitting me in the chest going, Jesus, Jesus. I'm like, it's just Doug, you know. And then I, he just, he was flipping out. And he thought he was going to die. And I remember when he got off the plane, he said, I'm never going on an airplane in my life again. And it, and it was just so funny to watch the different responses. I mean, it was so amazing. You had people in the same plane. We all willingly put ourselves on there. And, and yet the responses were so different. Some people was total joy. And for, for JP, it was, I mean, it was sheer terror. It was, he was terrified. Now, the thing is, the reason why... I say that is because when I talked this morning about, about taking our lives and submitting them to the glory and the majesty of God, for some people in this room, probably for many people in this room, that it's a no-brainer. It's a joy. You think, oh yeah, I would, I would willingly put my, hand, my, my life in his hands. And the reason why you're okay with it is because you know about God. You know something about him where you're at peace with it. But I want to tell you that there are people in this room who the very thought of putting, taking the controls off of their own life and then giving them to somebody else, that's a terrifying thought. It really is. It really is. They're not used to that. And so I want you to know, as you're here today, I do understand that we're coming from so many different backgrounds and different places. But the thing is that that's what's so cool about having a personal relationship with God, that he takes us each where we're at. So if you're here today and a lot of this stuff is new, for some it's going to be a total joy, it's a no-brainer. For others it may be terrifying. But listen, here's the thing. The point is, it's better to joyfully submit yourself to God than to someday be forcibly taken. It really is. And I know that sounds harsh, but when I think of it, I thought of a, of a picture, and this, this picture just comes to my mind. Every time I think 
of something that's taken over. Again, the light coming through kind of makes it weird, but, but you guys know what this is? The lock and cheetah mudslides. Okay, now, I don't know if you've had a chance to go up there, and I don't know how you kind of view stuff like this, but whenever I, I, whenever I see something like this and, and I know that somebody has passed away, somebody lost their life, to me, that, that place becomes holy ground. It just is. If I know someone has lost their life there, it's kind of a place that you're just quiet, you're just sober, you just kind of mellow out. And my wife and I had the chance to drive up, up the coast a couple weeks ago, and as we drove past La Conchita, it was we just kind of slowed down, we quit talking, and we just looked, and it was so eerie to see literally the majesty of the mountain, the hugeness of the mountain, the bigness of the mountain, come down and literally swallow these homes, swallow people alive. And what happened is these people were forcibly taken by something larger than themselves. Now, the thing that upset me is I drove past this, I thought, man, I go, I thought, I remembered back two days before the mudslide happened, I remember I was driving in my car, and on KFI, on the news, the lady said, she said, given the weather report, she said there's a chance of severe mudslides between Ventura and Santa Barbara. Stay out of the area um, if you don't need to go up there. And I remember there was that warning out there, and I remember even hindsight that people saying that this town and, and this community has been known for mudslides for years and years and years. So there's a little bit of knowledge. In fact, what, what, what bothered me is we were driving through, you could see these were old boards, but they, from, from years back, they, they'd put up these little, like, two-by-sixes. And it was almost embarrassing, like, somehow if I put up this little board with some stakes in the ground, that it's going to somehow hold up this mountain. But it was like man's effort to try to hold something back that was huge. And the truth is, when this thing came down, it humbled us. It humbled us all, like, what? How in the world? And you know some of the tragedies that followed it. And the thing that scares me is that there is, there, there's something coming someday that is so much larger than, than this mountain. It's the glory of God. It's the majesty of God. It's the return of Christ. I mean, he's coming back. The Bible is very clear that in the twinkling of an eye, right? The twinkling of an eye will be changed, that we will meet him in the air for those of us that know him. And that's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. And the thing is, Philippians, again, Philippians teaches what? That, um, that, uh, Every knee, what, shall bow, and every tongue confess. What's every tongue going to confess? That Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. And so there will be a day that every person will, will be facing the majesty of God. But here's, I want you to think this before we start thinking through these issues, that we're all on this threshold. And really, if there's one thing that I convince you, it's better to willingly submit yourself and just say, God, here I am, teach me than just to take like little facts and some warnings and stuff like that and just walk out because someday we will all face the glory of God. We just will. That was very clear. And so the whole point is just to, to present ourselves. Now, when I ask you this question, um, what comes into your mind when you think about God? I mean, God is a big topic, but do you know that every one of us, we carry with us an idea of God, even people that don't know God personally through Jesus. They still have an idea. And just kind of think through, who is my God? I mean, is your God a, a powerful God? Is your God a loud God or a quiet God? Is your God a one who has a plans or is your God distant who kind of lets everything happen? I and mean, we all have a view. The thing we want to do is make sure it's accurate according to the Word. That's really what we want to pursue. We want to pursue an accurate view of God, an accurate picture. Now, if you have your outline with you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover three major areas. And if you could pull that out, and um, especially... Uh, Pastor Steve wants you to remind those who are in sermon-based small groups, okay, those of you who are in sermon-based small groups, save this outline and bring it with you to your Bible study, okay? Because this is what you're going to use for your discussion. And if you're a leader, make sure that you use this as your, 
your discussion guide. You want me to pass it along to you. And if you're not in a sermon-based small group, yeah, get into one. These are, these are the best Bible studies because you, you meet during the week, talk about the message and how to apply it to your lives and just connect with other believers. So if you're interested in it, call the church and say, I want to get hooked up in a sermon-based small group. Here we go. Number one on the outline. We need to elevate our view of God so that we might not sin against Him. Okay? The first thing, the reason why we want to raise our view of God from a low view to a higher view is so that we might not sin against God. Now let me explain that because the whole point about, see the thing is, this is who God truly is. Okay? If this is who God truly is, and what we do is we bring him down here so that we can kind of understand him or make sense of him, then what we've done, we've, we've robbed him, we've taken from him, made some, a God that we can understand. Now there's a problem with that because watch this. In your, uh, on your outline you have a, a quote there by a gentleman of A.W. Tozer. And let me read that. He says this, he says, Wrong ideas about God, it's important to underline, wrong ideas about the fountain from which the polluted waters of idolatry flow, they are themselves idolatrous. The idolaters simply imagine things about God and then just act as if they're true. See, the thing is, we just think about thoughts about God, regardless of the Bible. We just think thoughts, and then what we do is we live as though they are true. That's idolatry. And we oftentimes don't think of that. In fact, if you look at it in your little box there on your outline, it says the spirit of idolatry, or the heart of it, is really entertaining thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. Or just thoughts that don't fit Him. They're not right thoughts. They just don't measure up to who He truly is. Now, the good news is, is, is this is, God should leave us amazed, really. That's, that's, he's incomprehensible. I mean, there's no way that our little minds can understand the, the bigness of God. And so there's a problem when you and I feel like we do. When we've got God, you know, I know everything there is to know about God. I've nailed him down. That's a problem. That should just tip us off right there. What we've done is we've taken the glory and majesty of God and we've reduced it. We carry with us wrong ideas about God and, and so many misconceptions outside of the Bible. Now, I don't believe that we do this on purpose. I don't believe that we intentionally shoot for a low view of God. I think a lot of times what happens is we, we end up getting a low view of God because we get intimidated, because we feel like there's so much to know about God, like why start? We do it out of laziness, like, oh, it's going to take so much time. Let me show you some scripture. Romans, it's on your outline, but it's also, I want to put it up on the screen. In Romans chapter 1, these verses read this way. It says, For although they knew God, and, and they, according to the, the previous verses, these are um, people that saw that God had left a witness. Like, for instance, the, the preceding verses talk about that God showed in all of creation that He is there by His power and His attributes. You look at creation, you know that someone's created it. And so that's, what, that's who they are, what's coming out of that. For although they knew God, watch what happens, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Okay, now watch this. Let's not complicate it. They knew God, but they didn't do something. What, what it means is, is they didn't glorify Him. To glorify, to glorify God means to exalt Him. It means just to lift Him up above everything else. That's what glorifying God is. It's made, making sure that God doesn't stay common like everything else. You lift Him above everything else, that's exalting that's drawing attention to him. And as you exalt him, you just follow that up with thanks, with gratitude. Well, these people, they, didn't, they knew God, but they didn't glorify him. And they didn't say thanks to him. And what it says is that their thinking and their hearts were affected. Their thinking became empty, and their hearts became dark. Now, here's what scares me. They didn't exalt God, um, and they didn't give thanks to him. And then the, the result of that was their thinking became empty, and their hearts dark. But that's going on the inside, but if you listen to these people on the outside, 
you'll hear that they're professing to be wise. And that's so scary because really the whole problem with idolatry is it's a thinking issue that eventually works its way out in your life. It's not something you just start in your life and affects your thinking. It's something that always begins here and here. But if you listen to these people, they sound smart, they sound like they know what they're talking about, but inside it's full of emptiness and darkness. And it says that, they're, that they became foolish. And here's what's so foolish. Here's what's so bad. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. I mean, the whole point was what they did is they, they, they took the majesty and the glory and the power of God, something that was truly amazing, and then they exchanged it. I mean, we, we have the idea of, 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 here, can I take this back? You take this back, and I'll take something else with me. And so what happens is they exchanged the, the glory of the incorruptible God for something that was controllable. I mean, that's part of our nature. That's what we do as people. We, we want to be in control. We want to be in control of our own lives and of other people's lives, and that's a struggle that we have, and it doesn't make any sense. But you know what? We do it all the time. We may walk out of here, and it's easy to keep a high view of God right now because it's right here in front of us, but what happens is we walk out of this room, and sometimes we leave a high view of God here. And then we go out in the today, and, and then what happens is we experience something, and our view of God all of a sudden drops down or even becomes absent, that there is no view of God. It's just life. Man, that's, that's not right. A low view of God or incorrect thoughts about God, it's really idolatry. It's, it's, it's reducing him. And the whole thing, well, how does God feel about idolatry? Flip your outline over. And, uh, you know, God clearly says that this is what the Sovereign Lord says. He says, repent and turn from your idols. And the verses there in Corinthians talk about fleeing, like get away from idols. They're not good. Now watch this. Here's what makes idols so bad. Okay, here's what makes idols so bad. It's, it's like putting your your face. Okay? Now, when I put my hand in front of my face, I can see just enough to still live my life. See, but it's, it doesn't give me a clear view and see what an idol is like. We can live our lives with things that are wrong in our lives, but we can still live. But see, the same thing is with having a low view of God. It's like this. It's like, well, I can still see a lot of the stuff that I'm supposed to be doing as a believer and believing, but it's just a distraction. It's a hindrance. And really, if you were to walk like this the whole day and then you finally took your hand away, it's so refreshing because you have a clear picture. And see, incorrect thoughts about God, it's like that. It's like putting your hand in front of your face. It's blocking what you should truly be seeing to remove them. That's what God wants us to do. So when we talk about elevating um, and elevating our view of God, it's important because, number one, we don't want to sin against God by having a low view of Him. Uh, number two, we want to elevate our view of God so that we might grow in our faith. And really, this is kind of the, 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 the bulk of the, the message, the challenge of the message right here. We need to elevate our view of God so that we might grow in our faith. Now this, I mean, this, when we talk about the attributes of God and who God is, we're going to kind of break a, a few of these, these apart now. Did you know that our thoughts are a dwelling place for God? Think about that. That your thoughts and my thoughts are really a dwelling place for God. And whatever you and I end up thinking about, whatever your mental picture of God is, you will end up moving towards that. For instance, if your God is a weak God and he can't answer a prayer, you won't pray. It will naturally show up in your life. And what the attributes of God help us do, when we say attributes, it's the characteristics of God. 
things that we can identify about God. When we look at the attributes of God, what we want to do is we want to see who he is, and then what happens is we want to connect them to our life. Now, again, on your outline, you have a, a, a few quotes there from A.W. Tozer. Again, and he writes this. He says, The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Catch this next sentence. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. See, what it's saying in simple terms, it's saying that, that if this is your idea of God, then basically you will grow to this point and then you stop. But if you, so the key question is, I mean, if you want to grow in your understanding of who God is, you want to grow in your Christian life, then what you need to do is raise your understanding of who God is. Now, I know the temptation. I've been there a hundred times. When you feel like you max out on your faith, you feel like, oh, I'm just getting kind of, I've plateaued. I know what that temptation is. You think that you need to go do something, do more things, right? See, I used to believe in that, that busyness was next to godliness. It's not. It really is not. And so what happens is, is I remind myself that, you know what, I w- sometimes I think if I go from point A to point B, that all of a sudden something's going to happen and I'm going to grow. No. Sometimes God says, Doug, stay at point A, and I want you just to think about me. I want you to meditate on who I am. And the funny thing is, so many times I just start bouncing around to every point. I don't grow. But when I let God capture my thinking, and I let him just capture the wonder of my mind, and I worship him through my thinking, then I just see my Christian life be so much affected in, in literally every area. In fact, Tozer says again, it is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. I mean, the whole thing is, is if, if our view of God is off, then even our attitudes will be off. If our view of God is wrong, it's going to affect our purity even in our life. Now, in your outline, you have a whole list of attributes, and it's just a, it's a sample list. It's by no means a, a, a complete list. It's a sample list, and, and what I want to do is I want to walk through a few of these to show you how when you say that, that you and I believe this theology, how does it affect our life in very practical ways? Okay, we're not talking about just big words and theory. The reason why God gave us these things is so that it would help us in our daily walk with him. Now, when we say this, um, when we say that God is sovereign, when we say that God is sovereign, what we're saying is that God is a God who is in complete control. There is nothing that he is not in control of. And you say, okay, I believe that. And the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. What does that mean for my daily life? You know what? It's gotten so practical for me that I've almost got obsessive with it, and in a good way, that I used to be irritated by red lights. You know that way? I used to be so irritated by red lights that, because I always felt that they were holding me up. Now, every time I pull up the red line, it turns, it turns, you know how it always turns yellow and red on you? Everybody else gets through, and you're the one guy that always has to stop. And I used to be irritated by that, but then I say, Lord, there's a reason why you want me to stop. Every red light, because you might be protecting me for something I'm unaware of. I just say, God's in control of the day. I walk up to Kaiser, and there's a two-hour line. Thank you, Lord. You're in control. You must have wanted me to stay here for a couple hours and just do something, and so I'm going to keep my eyes open on you. When you think through the whole day that God is in control of the day, how does that affect you? Well, whether good or bad. I mean, if good things come or bad things come, God is still in control. When we say that God is a God of love, it means that, that God gives of himself to his creation. And also, because of his love, whatever he gives us is the best. Right? So that means whatever you and I face in, in our walk, in our day, not just today, but also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever happens in the day, 
because our theology tells us that God is a God of love, then our life as we live it, we should know, and this is how it should affect our faith, that whatever comes our way, this is the best thing that God could give me. Now the difference is, see, you and I have different definitions sometimes of love than God. Sometimes our love for people is to give them their appetites. Okay? In the short term, it's almost like shopping around my house. Um, grocery shopping. Um, see, my kids love when I go grocery shopping. Well, Freddie too, but, but when I go grocery shopping, I buy tons of junk food. And we eat it all in one day. Okay, you ever do that? It's just like buy junk food because you just walk through the aisles and, and especially on the ends, you don't really walk around the store, you just walk through the ends and pick out all the stuff that tastes good. And what happens is, you buy this stuff and, and it, it's just for that moment and it tastes good, but then it's gone. See, Franny thinks about the family different than I do. She thinks about that she has a commitment to think about her health beyond today. Okay, she wants her kids to live beyond today. And so what she does is she buys food that doesn't taste as good, but, um, but it's healthier for us. Because she's thinking in the big picture. And that's oftentimes how God's love is. God's love is not so much concerned with the moment and our appetites. God's love is concerned with our entire life. And he thinks in terms of what's best for this person in their whole life. And not only just what's best for your life, but what he gives you will affect other people. So he has to think in terms of what I'm about to give this person may not be good for somebody else. So I'm not going to withhold it from him. And so God can hold all that, that together. We say that God is all-powerful. It means that God has, he has, he has no limits. There's nothing that our God cannot do. He is so powerful. In fact, I was just reminded of this last night when I, I came home from the service and I was just kind of amped, kind of wired. And, and so I sat down at the kitchen table and everybody had gone to bed and, uh, and I opened my Bible. And I was reading, um, I thought, oh, you know, I didn't get to say goodnight to Isaac. Say goodnight to everybody else, but I didn't get to say goodnight to Isaac. And he went in his room. He's our oldest son. And so I said, I prayed as I was reading this, this chapter. I said, Lord, can you get Isaac out of bed and bring him in here so I can say goodnight to him? I know that's weird. Okay, I'm not saying, I know you're thinking, why don't you just get up? But I wanted to read this chapter that I was in, in, uh, in Isaiah. So I was reading it, and I thought, and as soon as I said it, I kind of got nervous, like, oh no, am I challenging God? I mean, is that like a flippant prayer? And so then I got kind of nervous, and so I kept reading. If I wasn't concentrating on anything I was saying, because I was waiting to see if he would come. And about a minute later, Isaac walks out of bed and said, hey, Dad. I was like, no way. And I told him, I thought, oh, this is so funny. I told Isaac exactly what I prayed. And the funny thing is, God just gave me that to remind me, even in the smallest things, I just really believe, my theology says that God is all-powerful, do I take the smallest things to Him? Really? Do I take the small, insignificant things, do I constantly just put them in God's hands and say, God, since you're all-powerful, can you do this? And you know, and when praying for people, and praying for healing, that's a big deal. But when I pray for people, seeing, I say, God, I believe with all my heart that you can heal them. I do, I believe with all my heart that you have all the power, you can do it. But at the same time, I know that you have other works that you're doing that I might not be aware of. And so, if you don't, please have your way. I mean, if you choose not to heal them, I trust your judgment. But I know that you can. And I will pray according to that. But at the same time, I always want God to know I'm not challenging him. And I'm not provoking him. I just am respecting him and his power. We say that God is is all present. He means everywhere. Right? There is no place that God is not. He's always there in his presence. And how should that affect our faith? Man, just knowing that wherever we're at, God is with us. If you find yourself at home all day long and you're just going scared crazy and you're going bored and you feel like you, you're, you, you've fallen off the, 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 the planet, the face of this world and, and know that God is there with you. You're not forgotten. Or if you're facing something that you feel is bigger than yourself, remind yourself that, you know, I'm not facing this by myself. I'm facing it with the God who is with me, who is all-powerful, who will love me through this process and who's in total control. We also say that God is all-knowing. He's, he's, 
He's not caught off guard by anything. He knows things actual, and he knows things that are possible. There is nothing that God does not know. I mean, how does that affect my faith? It just it, it causes me to rest and just to find comfort in Him. Probably one of my favorites, though, is that God is unchanging. I just love the, the, the fact that God is unchanging. There's nothing in God that, that, that grows. He doesn't grow old. He doesn't grow smarter. He doesn't grow in His love. You know how you and I think in terms of that? What we do is we say, well, if I'm better, if I do more good stuff, then God will love me more. That's so not true. God doesn't love you any more today than he did 20 years ago. His love doesn't grow. He loves you consistently. Yeah, he loves us enough to discipline us. We do things that are not good. But his love doesn't grow. You know, in thinking through these, this is just a sample list, but, but you know, just to, to kind of show it just in my own life how, how, to, how I connect theology with life. You remember last time I, I spoke, I shared with you that my mom passed away and just how God had just showed himself so strong in my life. And I was so grateful for that experience. Um, not happy about it, but I'm grateful for the experience because I, I got to see the Lord do amazing things um, through my mom's death and following. But last weekend, we, my sister and I went out to my mom's place to, to clean up all of her stuff, to get all of her stuff and uh, to, to bring it out. And uh, I, I wasn't looking forward to that day I mean, that was just, i got to be honest with you, it just was icky. I just didn't like it. I wasn't looking forward to it. Even when I got to the house, it's just a weird feeling. You're walking in that somebody has passed away and, and you start going through their stuff and putting it in boxes. And those of you who, who, who've done it before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I, and I found myself about midday through and I'm in my mom's closet and I'm just cleaning all this stuff off the floor, picking stuff up and putting it in boxes. My sister was in another room and I remember sitting there thinking, just different thoughts were coming to my mind. Pretty not, not good thoughts, just thoughts that were just bugging me. And so I stopped and I said, Lord, I just want to thank you that you have me here today. I just want to thank you that you have me here because this is exactly what you wanted me to do this day. It's not necessarily what I thought was the most fun thing to do, but it was the thing that God had me to do. And so what I did is I said, God, thank you for having me here. And then number two, God, I want to thank you that you're allowing me to experience this that you want me here and that you have me doing this because I know that in my life it will make me just a more understanding person. And the thing is because I thought, Lord, there's so many people that I will deal with in my life and because I get to be here, now I get to understand what they've gone through. But without that experience, I wouldn't understand what they're, what they're going through. So I just stopped and I thanked him. Now watch, the whole, just in something so simple as that, um, what I did is I just stopped and I elevated God. I'm in the closet in a really gross situation, a gross circumstance, gross emotionally, gross in every way. And the thing is, what I did is I said, God, I just want to thank you for you having me here. You're in control. Just glorified it. Just lifted him up out of the common. And then what I just said is, thank you. Thank you that I get to do this. And what it is, you followed up with gratitude. And I honestly want to ask you, what were my other options? Really? Was I going to sit there and be mad? Was I just going to sit on that closet floor and be frustrated? Frustrated that somebody died? Frustrated that I have to clean it up? Frustrated and bugged by it? Not at all. Was I going to be overwhelmed and, and lose hope? Not at all. Those were options. I couldn't even consider those because the whole thing is just knowing because what I believe about God is, is so important to me, I have to make sure that just in the smallest aspects of life, I just stop and say, okay, God, this is who you are and this is what you're doing and I'm just going to thank you for it. And I, I guarantee you, when we just start approaching our life that way, taking our theology and making sure that every part of our life we're just using it, just our, our faith just starts to grow like crazy. Now, here's what I want to do. 
In your bulletin, on the inside, you have just a sample list of attributes. What I want to ask you to do is this week, <clears throat> pray about this. And pray about seriously doing it. Would you prayerfully consider taking one attribute each day? And what you do is look at the attribute, read the verses, and then, and then kind of write out an application. Like, for instance, sovereignty. Let's say that Monday you start off your week and you say, you know what, tomorrow, first thing I'm going to do when I wake up, I'm going to read these verses on God's sovereignty. I'm going to understand it with just, he's in control. And then, and then right in there is an application. God, whatever, whatever I face today, I know it's from you. And then what you do the whole day is you just start thinking, whether good or bad, that God is sovereign. And, and whatever you face on Monday, you just keep reminding yourself, this is from God. Small or big, harsh or pleasant, whatever it is, just tell yourself, this is from God. Thank you. This is from God. Thank you. And then on Tuesday, move to love. And, and say, God, you are a God of love, and I'm going to worship you today in light of your love. And I'm going to read these verses, and then whatever you go through that day, remind yourself that, you know what, God is so loving that he wanted this in my life. And by the way, he's in control of everything. And you just start building the attributes of God into your daily living. You will be an unbelievable Christian. Unbelievable in the sense of your, just the, the, the wonder that you will live in, the peace. The peace that you'll experience. The third thing, we'll close with this. This one's pretty quick. We need to elevate our view of God so that we might maximize our impact in others. We need to elevate our view of God so that we might maximize our impact in other people. And this is like a natural outflow. When you and I start growing as believers, it affects everyone around us. You know that. And when you and I do the opposite, when we start neglecting our walk and we turn to other things, it affects other people around us in negative ways. And so the whole challenge is, you know what, when you elevate your view of God, it's a blessing to other people, but it also, it gives you so much opportunity to minister to people. Can I share this with you? That the, the, the world is starving for the majesty of God. Do you know why people are so not interested in God anymore? It's because everybody's reduced God to so small. He's not, I mean, it's not interesting. Seriously, God is so small, so powerless, so insignificant that when you talk about him, it's like, why would I want that? But you start talking like a believer who knows God, who knows that God is all-powerful, who knows that God is loving and, and holy and eternal, and you start talking about God as though you know People automatically get interested. You know why? Because they're starving for the majesty of God. God put that in each one of our hearts. You know what we're not interested in? A low view of God. Not interested. None of us want a low view of God that doesn't work. No one's interested in that. But all of us have a craving for the majesty of God. It's just in us. And so when we think about our impact in others, let me just ask you this question. Um, how, well, I guess let me ask you this way. What kind of God are you passing along to others? Think about that for a second. What kind of God are you passing along to others? And obviously we're talking about our view of God. I mean, think about it with our children. What do our children know about God because of what comes from us. I mean, do our children just know, they just know that, that every situation that comes in, whether it's a financial pressure or if it's a physical illness or if it's stress or fighting or whatever that comes into our life, do, do they just automatically just something about God or attributes of God or God is so big, you know what, let's take this to the Lord in prayer because I know he's big enough to take care of this for us. Is that what our kids hear from us? See, it's so important that we pass along a high view of God to our kids. Our, our children are interested in God because we just give them a guy that's small. And it's a guy that can't do anything. You wouldn't want it either. I wouldn't want it. 
Sunday school teachers. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you teach here at church or somewhere else even, and you have the opportunity to teach children about, about God, when you look at the stories of the Bible, do you teach those stories of the Bible from the majesty of God? From that vantage point that every story is not about the people or the stuff going on. It's about the majesty of God. Is it possible to take four and five and six and seven-year-olds on up and just tell them a story and just capture their mind about the majesty of God? Totally. In fact, it's more normal for them just to automatically assume God's majesty than even for us. Please don't walk into your Sunday school classroom and just go, yeah, you know, I read my lesson on the way to church today and I'm going to present it to them. Pray about it. Just, just plead with God for the children that you're responsible for and say, God, my prayer is that they would see your majesty and then go in there and communicate majesty. Don't go in there and just tell them another boring Bible story. Go in there and tell them about the majesty of God behind Noah's Ark. The majesty of God behind Samson. The majesty of God behind the Exodus. Talk about the majesty of God. They'll be interested because they'll see you. You'll light up. You'll be a light and they'll watch you. Same thing if you're on staff and you work in ministries like Ascent Ministries, student ministries, junior high or high school or college ministries. When you, when you work with your, your group, do you, are you so passionately concerned about the majesty of God that it just leaks from you? See, it's so important. What you don't want to do, what I don't want to do, is we don't want to pass off a small God because what we're giving them is an idol. Here, why don't you try this? And then when they leave and it doesn't work, you know what happens? Well, I tried that and it really didn't work. It's because we gave them the wrong thing. That's why it's so important for us to know and spend time with God and His Word when we talk about the majesty of God. And this is the last thing, I guess, in, in husbands. When we think about our household, does our household, husbands or fathers, and does our household have an atmosphere about it that there's a high view of God? Do you know that we're the ones that really set the temperature? Husbands, you can't say, well, there's a low view of God, it's my wife's fault. Or it's my kid's fault. They're just not interested in God. That, that God, we're the priests of our home. We're the pastors of our own local church at home. And it's our responsibility to make sure that there's a high view of God there. And just to raise it. And the good news is, is wherever you're at, just raise it. Just notch it up one notch. No one's asking you to become this, 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 something so far out of reach. It's just wherever you're at, just say, God, I want to just start just having a high view of you at every point in our family's life, no matter what we're facing. Now, we're going to close with this. If you turn your, your outlines over, I ask you to just think through a couple things. Number one, this. If I could ask you to do something first, it'd be just to present yourself to God. Just in, in simplicity. Remember going back to the beginning of the message of saying, willingly present yourself to God? That's what I'm going to ask you to do right now, is would you please just, just pray about it and say, God, you know, just... Here I am, I present myself to you. Please teach me. Show me who you are. Um, leave me amazed. I, I, and I love this. Remember that when you do that, that you are... I think you're... Okay, man, come on out. Um, I was expecting you to come then. <laughs> so, and so remember that when you, when you present yourself to God, Remember that Jesus gives this promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Know that when you present yourself to God, know that, that it's not some mystery. Know that, say, God, here I am, teach me. Know that God will teach you, that God will show you. Now, the second thing is this. Commit to discipline study. Commit to discipline study. Now, I know that sounds boring, but really it is the way. When we say commit to discipline study, you need to commit yourself to the Word to open it, to study it, to, to search the Scriptures, to know more about God and who He is. 
Now, do you guys remember the, the big rainbow last week? You remember it? It was just was huge. Anybody not see the rainbow? Imagine if you didn't see the rainbow. Okay. Because um, those of you who saw the rainbow, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it was last week, I believe. And I remember I was on the phone in my office, and I was looking out my window, and I saw Debbie Petrillo and a couple of the kids from Children's Ministry. They walked out in the parking lot, and they were looking up, and their eyes were all big, and they were going, they were pointing, and they were just like, I could tell they were, there was something out there that was amazing to them. But I was busy. I was doing my work, and I just kept doing it. I just flew it up. Ah, oh, they're probably looking at something neat. Well, then I called home, and I was talking to my son, and I said, you know what, can you tell Mom I'll be home in a few minutes? And he's talking, and then he said, oh, Dad, you just got to see this rainbow. And I said, oh, okay. Um, oh, I've got to get my stuff together, and I'm going home. And, and I was like, well, I mean, so I, I just still didn't listen to how neat this was, and he was going on and on about how, how bright the colors were. I said, okay, cool, I'll be home in five minutes, and I hung up the phone. Well, what happened is I got my backpack together. And I, as soon as I walked out the church door, I looked up, and as soon as I saw that rainbow, you know what it did? I mean, if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. You just looked at it, and then you just stopped. And it just captured your attention. It captured, it made you literally stop what you were doing and just notice it. What happens so many times in the Christian life is we listen to other people talk about the rainbow. See, imagine if Isaac would have told me all that. I said, no, no, that's cool. I'm glad that was a blessing for you. Good for you. I mean, I'm glad that that encouraged you or or the other people that were out looking at it. The thing is, we spend so much time listening to other people talk about God, about how awesome he is, how wonderful he is. The thing is, what it's really time to start doing is for us to take responsibility over our own pursuit of God and to step it up and say, you know what, this is my view of God. I'm going to grow my view of God by spending time with him. Now, as we close, I'm just going to ask you, we're going to have a, a, a time of worship at let me ask you just to go before the Lord quietly and just say, God, if there's anything you want to do in my life, I mean, please lead and guide me, whether it's something we've said or maybe something even the Holy Spirit's just kind of talk to you about in your own heart. But I, I just would just ask that you go before God and just present yourself to Him. Present yourself to Him. And um, if you'd like to come up and take communion, I want to invite you to do that. I mean, that's a, what a special time to stop and remember that Jesus Christ who is the way, the life, and the truth. I mean, he came to make the way that, that we could know God in eternal life. And if you're a believer, and I, although we have it sitting out in a casual sense, it really is not casual. It's, it's, it's holy ground too. It's holy ground. So we want to invite you up to have a special time with the Lord and just remember that, that, that Jesus shed his blood and broke his body for you. And if you'd like to be baptized today, invite you up to, to, to talk about that. And, and you want to say, you know what, I want to follow the Lord. I want to put myself underneath the name above all names. And, uh, and follow in, in, in obedience to baptism. Or maybe there's something that you'd like to pray about. We're going to hang up here at the prayer room. And uh, anything that you'd like to pray about, please come forward and we'll take care of it.